Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners. No matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to, Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. The Second Amendment, the guarantor of individual freedom. We know that without the Second Amendment, all the other amendments are kind of meaningless. The use of weapons has been very important in the history of this country. Um, As you probably know, the shot heard round the world was fired because the British soldiers had been sent by King George to confiscate the weapons of the colonists in Lexington. Uh, The Minutemen encountered them, were ready for them, and prevented the British from stealing the weapons of of the colonists. Now, you know that Thomas Jefferson also felt that the Second Amendment was very important to prevent the rise of a tyrannical federal government. And, of course, in that era, when the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were written, they had just won a war against a tyrant, and they were wanted to be absolutely certain that that never happened again, and they knew that a well-armed citizenry could prevent the rise of a tyrannical central government. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Jim Sotilli. Jim Sotilli is a former detective from the New York Police Department, sergeant supervisor on the detective squad, major U.S. Army artillery officer, an NRA certified pistol instructor, and an NC certified firearms instructor. We're going to discuss uh, the Second Amendment. We're going to discuss concealed carry and some of the laws, specifically in the state of North Carolina, that deal with concealed carry and when you can and when you cannot use your firearm to be be in compliance with the law. So, Jim, it is a pleasure to have you on Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you, Dr. Dan. So, today we're going to start off... Let's talk about what are the requirements for uh, getting a concealed carry permit in the state of North Carolina. 
Well, it's very similar to the other states. You, you can't have an extensive criminal record by any means. You can't have one felony, uh, although there are new procedures now where you can get that written off in a, by a district court judge if you have one nonviolent felony. But generally, if you have any crimes that are serious, you won't get a permit. Uh, they also look at DWEs, driving while intoxicated. You have to be clear of that for three years. You can't have a dishonorable discharge from the military. Uh, you've got to be 21. And uh, in order to get a permit in, in this state, you, you have to take an eight-hour course of instruction on when to shoot and when not to shoot. And you must understand the pistol laws, laws of self-defense, the use of physical force versus deadly physical force. And this is what I teach in my classes. And then you qualify at the range with with your pistol. And then uh, I'll issue a certificate from the attorney general's office, which will allow you to go to any sheriff. You go to the sheriff in the county where you reside, and he does the background check. I don't do anything like that. I don't check you for qualifications, but you should be aware that that's what the sheriff's going to do. So, you know, one of the misconceptions I've heard about concealed carry is that in order to take the class, you need to own a gun. Is that true? Not at all true. In fact, I have people signed up for a coming upcoming class, and uh, I rent them a gun, uh, uh, and I, I have ammunition available, because you need 30 rounds to shoot at a full-size silhouette three, five, and seven yards. It's very easy. It's point and shoot. You're not using sights. It's strictly like pointing a pencil. And at those close distances, almost everybody passes. So you have an extensive background with firearms. Before we get into more about concealed carry laws, tell me a little bit more about your training. How did you, where did you work? You worked in New York City, I know that. Tell us about some of the experiences that you've had in your past that you bring when you teach others uh, all about guns and concealed carry. Well, I tell a lot of practical stories. Uh, I try to get down where the rubber meets the road and let people know, you know, what happens when you have to shoot somebody because I've done it several times. Uh, I, w- I went through the New York Academy for six months, and then uh, for four and a half years I was a cop, a street cop in Times Square in, in a very tough neighborhood in Hell's Kitchen on the west side where we always had a lot of busy time. And um, I had to use my pistol three times in the line of duty. So each time you do that, you go before a grand jury, you know, and you've got to explain your situation and that you were justifiable in the use of force, deadly physical force. I was in the Harlem riots in 1964 where we exchanged a lot of gunshots with people shooting at us from the roofs. And um, and then I had somebody attack me with a knife, and I, uh, you know, I put four bullets on him and never stopped him. Uh, I've had situations where an armed robber, uh, I shot him, and he ran away with the bullet on him because... All we had was 38 specials, and that's not particularly good at stopping people. Uh, nor is the 380, which we can talk about later. But, you know, you've got to have adequate firepower to stop somebody from reaching you and, and to terminate some deadly force being used against you. 
So you were using the 38 Special, is that what you were using? Which in I those, guess at that time, that was probably standard issue, wasn't in it? The, in the 60s and, and early 70s, almost every police department used it, the 38 Special, and it proved over time not to be effective in stopping people so that all law enforcement has gone to the 40 caliber SNW. You don't find anybody with a 38 Special. And uh, nine millimeter is sort of uh, where happiness begins if you want to protect yourself. Uh, although a lot of police departments uh, rejected it, they went to forty caliber instead of nine millimeter. I recommend nine millimeter sometimes, but there are there are better, you know, depending on your strengths. You know, if you're if you're a woman and you're not you're not very well built, you may we may make some other adjustment in terms of what firearm I'd recommend. But the 327 Magnum is is really effective, and I carry a 357 Magnum, and I don't need 14 rounds. You know, a lot of people think they have to carry a semi-automatic with 14 rounds. You know, and and um, if you used all 14, you'd probably be charged with using excessive force. I mean, it's going to take you one or two rounds if you have the right caliber to stop somebody. Now, obviously. Uh the criteria for using lethal force is probably different if you're a police than you are a citizen. Would you say that's correct? Well, police police may be able to shoot at a fleeing felon. Police uh, have the power of arrest. In North Carolina, there is no citizen power to arrest. There are There is that power in other states. I came from New York. They have a law where you can make a citizen's arrest. We don't. Also... If somebody decides to run away, you can't shoot them. Uh, irrespective of the severity of the crime, you cannot shoot a fleeing felon if you're a citizen. So you don't want to have a situation where somebody has an exit wound in their chest. Uh, well, that would be a giveaway, don't you think? Yeah. And, you know, people people have to be trained in this. It's not something that you just learn by reading a book. We have to take a quick commercial break here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. More right after this. So when you're going to get a concealed carry permit, I guess the first thing you do is you sign up for some kind of a class. What is, what is a class? What do you teach in your class, your concealed carry class? Yep. I mean, how do you start? How do you start out with your class? What's the first yeah, thing well, you talk about? You know, you have to understand the legal terms that are used in the pistol law. So we go through them first, such as, you know, what is physical force? That's when somebody wants to punch you or kick you or push you or wrestle with you. And then there's deadly physical force where someone may have a weapon. It could be a screwdriver, or a knife, a gun, something that could cause serious physical injury, or death to you. So those are the two situations that you have to clarify before you can use or even take out your pistol. In other words, if somebody decides they want to punch the heck out of you, you just can't pull out a pistol to stop them because it would be illegal. It, it's the use, it's the threatening, threatening the use of deadly physical force when only simple physical force is being used against you. Now, but, but wouldn't you say, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but the victim, the qualifications, characteristics of the victim 
might make a difference, wouldn't you think? I mean, if someone came after a woman, one punch could render her defenseless and then able to be raped or molested in some way. So that initial assault without a, quote, deadly weapon really could be uh, something that would lead to worse once she was incapacitated. This question comes up in the class uh, all the time, especially with older women who might be frail. And the way I answer that is that you've got to be prepared to explain that to a jury, and they've got to believe you. And what the law says is, would a person of ordinary firmness believe you? And, for example, you take all your neighbors, if you sat them down and you said, hey, I had to shoot this guy because he'd have killed me. I mean, one punch from this 200-pound man who's obviously hyped up on drugs, you know, I mean, I had to defend myself. I told him to stay away from me, and he advanced on me. And if he ever connected with me, I'd certainly be in serious trouble. It's an acceptable defense. It's just that you have to understand that under the law, you have to explain why you use deadly physical force. And people of ordinary firmness have to believe you. So what you're basically saying, again, is you what you perceive as about to happen to you, you have to be able to justify to other people that under that under under reasonable circumstances that you had to use deadly force because if you hadn't, you would have been physically harmed in some way that would have been potentially permanent or disabling or whatever. Or life-threatening, yes, absolutely. And, and <clears throat> you know, people debate this in the classes, and, 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 and it's, 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 I don't want to say it's a gray area, but I want my students to understand that the way the law deals with it is physical force and deadly physical force. Now, if the guy's an ex-boxer, I mean, that, you know, that would be a specific example of where he could be deadly with his fist. You know, I could really get hurt here, seriously. So that'd be one situation. But I think that it's valid what you're bringing up about the older, frail woman. I mean, what is she going to do? She couldn't take those kind of punches without serious injury. I mean, he would knock her out unconscious, possibly cause severe head trauma. So I think she'd be justified if she could explain it. You've got to explain this. I mean, you don't automatically go before uh, a grand jury in this state if you, if you shoot somebody. In New York, you do. But here, it's, it's up to the district attorney. And, you know, district attorneys understand the practicalities of what could happen. And um, if, you, if you're adequate in explaining to that, and part of that is, you know, let's come in and learn the law so we understand what we should be saying. So then we also cover the use of force, not using excessive force, not being allowed to shoot people who want to flee. If, if it, let's say you came into your house and there was an armed suspect. You have the right to shoot him, but you may not have the opportunity to shoot him because he's got the drop on you. If he decides for any reason to flee, you can't shoot him. It's over. Dial 911. 
let the police chase them. You can use physical force to eject someone from your property under the law. You can't use deadly physical force. You can't wave the gun at them and say, get out of here. I wouldn't recommend that. I recommend that people call the police and let them eject them. If you get in a confrontation about people trespassing on your property, a lot of times these incidents like road rage incidents and problems with neighbors and with dogs and things like that, they escalate. And they escalate into a very bad situation. And under the law, if you're involved in escalating a situation, you no longer have the right to use deadly physical force under the law. You've got to retreat. And then your, your right would be restored. But just to give you an example, you know, you, you're walking on the street. Some guy falls out of a bar and bumps into you. He's, he's had a few drinks. And you get into an exchange and you start insulting each other's mother and you know how these things escalate right and um you know he he goes and grabs a knife you grab a gun he gets a cannon and it just escalates you don't want to be part of something where you were escalating it you were promoting this incident so that you could get into an area where more deadly force could be used the law looks very dimly upon you getting involved in a in a road rage or a, a bar incident, you know, and and and, and they uh, they make it very clear the way it's written that uh, you've got to retreat. You know, we'll talk about the home a little later on because that's obviously very different than when you're out about out and about. Yes, sir. The incident that you mentioned, someone fall, you know, tumbling out of a bar, running into you. Uh, you really do have the requirement to retreat and not to be an instigator, especially under those circumstances when you easily could just move away and let him lie on the ground or yeah. you know roll around however he want he wanted isn't that true yeah, you know I'll give you an example that happened to me. I was driving down the the road one day and the woman in a car in front of me was throwing ripping up her mail into tiny little squares and throwing them out the window so i was getting a shower of confetti when we got into town i pulled up next to her at the light i was on her right side and all her windows were open so i i shouted over to her i said who's gonna pick up all that stuff and you know she got furious and she gets out of the car with a tire iron and she walks to the front of the cars and she is using every bad word you can imagine so i got out of the car and i exchanged some some uh, you know Pleasant shout outs pleasantries yeah and you know you still have to think about this and and uh she's advancing on me with this tire iron and i'm on you know but I have enough experience with courts to know that one day I'll be sitting in a courtroom and there'll be six kids in the front row and the judge will ask me, now, Mr. Satilli, would you please explain to the children of the deceased why you murdered their mother for littering? You understand? I'd be under the spotlight. In other words, did I escalate this? Could I have retreated and just said, oh, Let's forget about it. 
or do I want to promote her to do something where I would use my gun? That concludes this part of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Tune in next week for part two with Jim Satilli. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. They call them muddy waters. And people I just love to hear that old man sing. Yeah, when I play the hoochie coochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning.